Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is writer-director Hassani Johnson, and we're going to be talking about its brand new film, Take Out Girl. Welcome to the show, Hassani. Hello there, Jan. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. Uh, this is kind of, this is a really interesting film, and I, and I couldn't be more timely. It just couldn't be more timely. Um, can you, so our audience, so they understand what Takeout Girl is all about. Could you tell us the synopsis of this film? Yes, I can. Uh, Takeout Girl uh, is the story of a 20-year-old Asian-American woman who parlays her food delivery expertise into a profitable drug hustle in order to save her family restaurant and to get her mother the uh, medical attention she needs. Okay. <laughs> You definitely don't want to give up too much, do you? <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's a there's a lot more to it. It's a it's definitely a it's a story about uh, what it's like to grow up in uh, areas of America where the American dream isn't really available to you. What means do you have to take to obtain some sort of upward mobility? And uh, I love that the film is incredibly relatable. I think it's going to be one of the more relatable films people watch in 2021 or 2022 or 2023. <laughs> Just watch the film. Uh, I think it is a uh, story about nature versus nurture. It's a story that will make a lot of people reevaluate the idea of criminality as it, it, it being a black or white issue. I think this film is all about the gray area of criminality. And I hope it sparks conversations about the connections between us all, regardless of, of race and, and how we should treat each other, because you never know how close you might be to someone. I hope it sparks conversation about criminality and the uh, the uh, essentially the uh, crime and punishment culture that we live in, as opposed to having some middle ground for legit rehabilitation or even uh, evaluating someone's crime and realizing that it wasn't a crime of malice, it was a crime of desperation and getting that person the help they deserve. And and that's, you know, in today's era, I mean, there seems to be more of that um, as time goes yeah. on, as, as uh, you know, the, the class distinctions become more wide um, uh, yeah. than they have been, it seems like, in some ways. And the upper class is, you know, the 1% is, you know, making all the money and everybody else is down there, you know, getting by or struggling. So this really puts a, a spotlight on on that issue. What um, you 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 did everything on this film? I mean, I'm <laughs> looking at the opening credits and I went, "Oh my god, he did this and he did the editing and he did the cinematography." I mean, you did everything. You wrote it, you directed it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean that that process for you. Um, how was that? putting on so many different hats and, and, and making this movie, which is a very good movie, by the way, everybody. It's a very good movie. Thank you. You're ah, that makes me feel good to hear you say that. Um, the, um, I'm a filmmaker. I'm not really a director. Um, directors are more specialized. They sit in the chair. They tell the other departments what to do. I can't even imagine a world in which I would have that sort of luxury. Um, and I'm not even sure I would want it if I had it. I feel like I become more intimately involved with the subject matter when I have my hands on a lot of different aspects of the film, such as the cinematography, the location scouting, the script writing, the heck, 
casting process. Like I, I get to know the people and the places and the, and the things that make up the film very intimately by the time I'm shooting it or editing it. Like it's, it's kind of like the back of my hand, but I do have a lot of help. Uh, the film was co-written by Hedy Wong, the lead actress, okay. and it was produced by her as well. Uh, I had a co-cinematographer. His name is Alberto Triana. He also uh, he also produced the film. And we had a 23-year-old producer on the film named Melissa Del Rosario, who put a lot, lot of work into the film. And uh, she was still in film school pulling this off. She's actually wow. the first unlv film student to ever have a film sold while still being a student in school amazing amazing wow she's gonna have an interesting career ahead of her isn't she i i agree i agree (laughs) you can't start in a better place you know no but when you have a team like that uh we have a team like that you can kind of dip your your toes into a lot of different areas without a lot of risk because they'll catch you if you fall that's true. It's night. It's they always say you surround yourself with the best of the best, and that helps you make look helps you make you look better. Let's put it yeah, that way. So. so that's great. <laughs> well, let's talk about Hetty Wong because you co-wrote this with Hetty, and um, so how did this concept come up? How did you? T- who had the kernel of the idea to begin with, and and how did you two team up? And you know, how did you meet too? So let's talk about all of those things. <laughs> Well, Hetty Wong wrote the first draft on her own. She came up with the premise of the film. Um, But when she tried to get the film made with no budget, she kind of got put through the ringer in L.A. And she was on the verge of shelving the project when Lauren Lee, the gentleman who played Saren, the brother in the film, uh, realized he knew me. He knew a guy who could make a dime look like a dollar and, and on screen make a dime look like five dollars. So he referred Hetty to me. Hetty took the initiative, invited me to dinner. And when I met her, uh, I was interested in the premise, but I was more interested in who she was as a person. She had this interesting flavor. It was like sitting, sitting down to dinner with her was like sitting down with Don Corleone mixed with a supermodel. <laughs> so your brain is kind of like, what am I dealing with right here? She had this amazing authority for a person who's barely 5'3". And, and, and like, you know, distractingly beautiful. But at the same time, she didn't dress to be beautiful. She wore sweats. She wore uh, the trademark hat you see in the film. And I knew that I had met someone who was so interesting that the rest of the world would find them interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So I went to work writing uh, my draft of the film, which the biggest difference between my draft of the film and hers is that she's in it more. Um, I knew 50% of the film was the premise and the events, but 50% of it had to be a character you couldn't help but watch. And that was her. So I infused her in, and then I started infusing a lot of myself, and that's when things really started cooking. Really interesting. So how long did it take um, you both to write this? Um, I wrote the first draft, my first draft, in about a month, but the process of refining the script was ongoing. After that month, I, we you know cleaned up typos for about another month, and then we start to compete the script. We competed the screenplay at the Blue Cat uh, Screenplay Competition, Austin Film Festival, and we put it on the blacklist. And we had some great feedback, but we knew something was missing. There was some authenticity. There was some story beats. So uh, as, as I went into pre-production, starting to gather the tools and the people and the places needed to make this film, I would also take little 
revisionist stabs at the film, adding things, taking things out, refining it. And I continued that process until about a month before we shot. So all in all, it was about a two-year process of just refining the script over and over again before I felt comfortable enough to shoot it. And that doesn't even include all the changes we made on set because I think my biggest fear is putting something on screen that was the best I was and not the best I am. So even on set, I think I'm better than I was the day before and I want to find a new spin to the same scene. So how long then after you completed the script to get the financing together and actually start the film? Uh, I financed the film out of my pocket, actually, uh, with my savings. And I had a little bit of help from an angel investor. It wasn't a lot, though. It was like used car money. (laughs) But it it helped. Yeah. And and, and there were no strings attached. He really just wanted to help a passionate filmmaker get farther along. And he did that. And he, you know, I have a great relationship with him to this day. Um, It took 15 days of shooting with, with uh, uh, about seven or eight crew members and then 25 more with a crew of three, which uh, was comprised of myself, uh, Melissa Del Rosario, our producer, Alberto Triana, our cinematographer and producer. And then of course, Hetty in front of the camera. So, uh, it was a 40-day adventure, uh, 15 days of which were during the Las Vegas summer. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Ooh, not a good time. Not the <laughs> yeah, best that was time. my biggest mistake. I had some serious hubris thinking I could take on the Las uh, Vegas summer. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't think my skin would ever heal. <laughs> I can only imagine. I was going to ask you where you filmed it. So it was filmed mostly in Las Vegas or where else was it filmed? We shot 90% of the film in Las Vegas and then about 10% of it in Southern California in the Inland Empire, Riverside. So so the interiors were filmed mostly in... Mostly in Las Vegas. In Las yeah, Vegas? mostly in Las Vegas. Yeah, we cheated it. That was the great part about, like... Uh, I, when I met Hetty, I lived in Southern California still. I lived in the, the Inland Empire... But in between deciding if I was going to do the film or not, I moved to Las Vegas. And I met some of the best people I've ever known here in Las Vegas. And the quality of life is better. Your dollar stretches a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. And fortunate for us, fortunately for us, that those things kind of washed over into filmmaking. You know, there's that old adage of uh, you can make a film fast, cheap, or good. Pick two. <laughs> well, we didn't have money, so it had to be cheap. And I chose to go slow, which made the film great. The slower I went, the better the film turned out. So it was really just doing the legwork of running around Las Vegas aimlessly in my car, waiting for locations to jump out at me. Things that had great natural light, things that had bathrooms and power and uh, places that could accommodate my crew and my equipment and places that were film friendly. These are luxuries I didn't feel like I had in Los Angeles because I lived there. And one thing I never felt like I had in Los Angeles was time. Like, I can't even park my car long enough without worrying about it getting towed or ticketed. Mm-hmm. Or You know, I never did figure out the Rubik's Cube that is the parking system in L.A. <laughs> so how could I, you know, and then traffic's terrible. So how could I drive around aimlessly for weeks on end to find the locations that would accommodate us, fit our budgets, and, and uh, it, you know, it just seemed impossible to do it where it actually belongs. So I, 
I figured I'd put the time into doing it where I could. Perfect, perfect, and you know, and it turned out great in, in in that respect too, because you can't tell where it's filmed, you know, at all. Right. So, and that's good, you know. Sometimes you can you can figure it out where they, where you are when that depends on whether the, you should or shouldn't, you know, uh, know where they film something. So, I mean, lots of times I look, I go, okay, did they film? It's supposed to be New York, but it looks like it could be Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's great. So, for you, because you've wore so many hats in this film, what's your favorite out of all of the, you said you're really not a director, but, you know, this, did you enjoy the process once you uh, started directing? It's a really good question. <laughs> um, my favorite thing to do when I'm when I was making Takeout Girl, my favorite thing to do, it shifted. I think I think it was what it, what I was doing the most of at the time. Uh, I think I'm very weird like that. Um, I tend to work in phases. When I'm writing, I love writing. When I'm location scouting, it's my favorite thing in the world. When I'm shooting the key art, it's what I'm most engaged in. As a matter of fact, I started making films when I was 12. And wow. the reason why filmmaking grabbed me is because um, my life was filled with anxiety and essentially real life threats that I, that, that would induce anxiety. I was never safe. I never felt secure. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is the most segregated city in America. Right now. I'm from a zip code there. Yeah. I'm I'm from 53206, which is the zip code where more black men are uh, thrown in jail per capita than any other place in the world. Uh, Forbes nominated, made Milwaukee, voted Milwaukee the worst place in America to grow up black. Wow. And the real tragedy about growing up in Milwaukee is people hear that word and they hear Wisconsin and they don't assign to you the survivor status that you deserve coming from a place like that. They, they don't, they, they hear Chicago and they think war zone, they hear New York, they think it's terrible, but they don't think that with Milwaukee. So you don't get the same, Considerations, even. Although I think uh, that's changed this year, Hassani. You think I really, it's changing? Oh, 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 I definitely do because so much has gone on, obviously, mm. in Milwaukee this year. You know, uh, with George Floyd and and mm. you know, and again, what's that? Brooklyn was it Brooklyn Park or what is it called? Um, I don't. I know that Brooklyn uh, Center. You know, just up in Waukesha. Yeah, the kid. Yeah, that kid went up from Illinois, and the the gentleman who was shot by the cops right before that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really really bad there. And I think I was 12 years old. I picked up a camera with my friends out of boredom. We started putzing around and then we started telling little stories. And then before you know it, it was like four. We started at like 1 p.m. and it was like 4 a.m. when we finished. And I just couldn't. I just wanted to do more and more and more. And I realized it was because during that block of time, the filmmaking that we did required so much of my brain power and so much of my attention that I didn't have time to think about the bus ride home or the bike ride home where I was going to have to, you know, essentially uh, make sure I didn't get killed on the way back. I didn't mm-hmm. think about how, how we were going to eat the next day. I didn't think about if my home had flooded from the, from it raining that day. And I was going to have to, you know, walk through water to get to my bedroom. It was just peaceful. Mm-hmm. It was peaceful because for once my brain couldn't wander off in a bad direction. And to this day, I would rather deal with the rigors of being asked to do a thousand things on set than to be, and 
to ha- to know that the outcome of it is going to be a positive message, a, right. a message of uh, uh, that reaches people and maybe sparks conversation, as opposed to just standing by helplessly and watching what's happening happening in the world and just letting it tear me apart. What a beautiful story. You know, a beautiful story, and and just how film has transformed your life um, at, at a young age, even you know, and that's so powerful, so powerful. Very that's powerful. the power of films. That's why I love what I do and talking to filmmakers, uh, independent filmmakers, and documentarians uh, because they're passionate uh, about what they're doing and um, many just like yourself starting off your career so it's kind of exciting and and I'm always interested in how people get started so that was that's a, a very interesting and again it sounds like you love every part of every aspect of this yeah I mean I mean they all feel I try to I always give this analogy um, it feels directing is wonderful it's like having a popcorn factory but when you do the cinematography it's like owning a popcorn factory and a butter company <laughs> and then when you start doing the set deck it's like owning a popcorn factory butter factory and I make flavored salts so after a while it just feels so complimentary that it's almost like you would never think of eating bland popcorn you would never you know you'd always put butter flavoring on it you always put a sprinkle a little something on it So they just feel so intertwined. It's one complete cohesive art to me. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And the fact is that you're talented enough to be able to do all of those things because not excuse me, not everybody can. You know, no, no, you know, people have find their niche and they stick in it, it, doing that, and they don't branch out to do other things. That's why it's always always interesting to see actors who uh, branch out into directing because they understand mm. uh, what that process is like. And um, most actors love working for another actor because they understand that. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it interesting. So your relation, so Hetty is, you know, beautiful, as you said. Um, so um, what was it, what was it like working with her? Because you both worked on the script. So what was it like to actually direct her in the film since it was her original concept? That's, um, Hetty was wonderful to work with. She's probably my favorite collaborator because she just gets it. She gets the give and take that is running your perspective through someone else's prism. Uh, she understands the give and take that it is to run your perspective and your vision through the practical tools you have at hand. You don't have to explain these things to her. She's also incredibly supportive and she uses the resources she has very well. Like she uses time incredibly well. So as a producer, she's stellar. She's stellar. Mm-hmm. She's very low maintenance and low pressure. As an on-screen talent, it was also pretty easy because I knew what my task was. When she came to me, she came to me as an actor who is essentially making her acting mixtape. You know how like oh, musicians yeah. make their mixtape and they put it out to the world and the world tells them if they're good enough to make it or not. Exactly. This was that for her. So how dare I move on before we had it, you know? Like the acting was primary, paramount, and, and, and first consideration at all times because an actress came to me with this project. So it was a no-brainer in, 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 in the approach in terms of how much time I would spend getting the right performance from her. And oftentimes I didn't have to spend very much time because she was very well prepared. But there were 
scenes that were challenging. And uh, I made sure I, 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 I had a patient cast and a patient crew. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went a step further. We had a nurturing cast and crew so that when Hetty, who was doing her first feature film from her first script ever, inevitably got tired or hot or whatever and couldn't do what we needed her to do at the snap of a finger, she knew we were still there for her. She knew she was in a safe environment where she could recover and then give it to us a couple of takes later or a couple minutes later or we could take five or ten or take lunch. So the film really did revolve around the performances from a production standpoint. And again, it's so important to create that safe space when you're doing a film. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this before, but, you know, that's when you get your best performances when actors feel this is safe. It's safe for me to play full out and, and give give parts of myself that I never thought I could give to someone on screen. Because you are bearing your soul as an actor mm. or an actress. You are bearing your soul, depending on the role. It depends, obviously, but and very often. But uh, I studied acting. <laughs> That's why I, I understand that part of it. But, uh, yeah, that's, I, you know, you hear about other directors and you hear horror stories, you know, mm-hmm. how they've just, you know, just awful to work for. And, you know, and, and it makes it very difficult. And now we're hearing that more and more, too, because I don't think people... People in the world anymore are trying are going to be willing to accept that kind of behavior going mm-hmm. forward for sure. What was the um, what's the message you want people to take from this film? Um, there's two of them, I think, and they're of e- equal importance to me. Uh, I want people to see someone who is opposite of them physically and still be concerned that there may be a connection between myself and that person who looks so different than me that I haven't quite found yet. That's a big part of the film Takeout Girl. That's thematically a big part and uh, and like literally a big part of the film is discovering your connections to other people. Uh, The key word being other. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing I want people to take from it is uh, a new perspective on the idea of criminality. The idea that uh, criminality is as simple as black and white. You did something wrong, therefore you deserve punishment. Um, I come from a place where um, I remember Hillary Clinton calling me and the people in my neighborhood super predators, and then everybody disappeared. The you know all the young thugs that were on the corner destroying the community disappeared. But what they didn't know when they took those people was they were taking a major part of our ecosystem. Those young boys who were figuring out a way, not saying they figured it out the right way, but they were a critical part of some of these single moms being paid to get the air conditioner fixed. You know, they they took care of that. These kids who whose parents couldn't afford to send them on field trips they took care of that those parents who, who could who were either going to go to bread lines and, and come home with halfway moldy bread for their kids to eat these young boys who had a little bit of extra cash were the reason why people got to eat better and then they were just snatched away and things got worse oh. they got worse and i think takeout girl mirrors that situation where like you know, uh, we, we re- mirrors that situation. And I think we need to reevaluate the motivation behind s- some of the criminal acts that happen. And uh, and we also need to reevaluate what we consider criminal as well, because, I mean, we're bailing out some of the biggest criminals in the history of the world right now, completely repercussion free. And and then you take some young kid who was arrested at 18 for marijuana, who's probably still in jail. 
Which makes no sense at all. Which makes no sense whatsoever. No, no, no it just doesn't. And, and, and some of these kids can be, like, one of the biggest things I love about Takeout, about Tara, is that if she was pointed in another direction, she would have went on to probably become one of the greatest people who ever graced the Wall Street because she had that sort of savvy and that sort of talent. But because the, that avenue wasn't available to her, the whole world misses out on what she can contribute. And my neighborhood, her neighborhood she grew up in in real life is full of that kind of talent. And it's all just being thrown in jail and dismissed because... Again, the American dream is not available to It's us. funny. I love talking with you. Unfortunately, our time is up. Where can people see Takeout Girl? You can see Takeout Girl May 18th on iTunes, uh, Apple, uh, Apple, I think uh, iTunes, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, all VOD platforms, DirecTV. And if you want to keep up with the news for Takeout Girl, you can find us at Takeout Girl Feature Film on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find me at Hisani J on Instagram. Wonderful, wonderful, Hisani. Well, thank you so much. I wish you much success with this film. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. It's a wonderful film. Everybody seek out Takeout Girl. If you've missed any of the Jam Price shows all about movies, you can go to my website, thejampriceshow.com, where all the shows are archived. You can also go to the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. 